things keep inching closer and closer uh, in favor of the Green Bay Packers. As yesterday, Todd Bowles, the head coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, was on his radio show, and he was talking about how Akeem Hicks and his tackle uh, Josh Wells are going to be potentially not playing Sunday. One's got plantar fasciitis, and the other, I didn't really get a... Uh, a, a hearing on it. I'll go check it out. But Rowdy, that's uh, good for the Packers. Akeem Hicks, the defensive lineman, and tackle Josh Wells, not uh, probably going to miss it, Todd Bowles. And Mike Evans, despite him, his agent, and his lawyers appealing uh, yesterday to the NFL for his one-game suspension, uh, he is more, more than likely going to miss as well. I, I mean, I don't know how you can refute what he did to Marshawn Lattimore besides his, his defense would be, it's Tom Brady, what do you want me to do? But Rowdy, this is boding a little more well for the Green Bay Packers. How does it feel, brother? And good morning. Yeah, we know obviously what Mike Evans is. He's the best wide receiver on this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team. So losing him is big, especially when you already have a lot of injuries at the wide receiver position to start the season. Let me ask you one, one thing quick. Do you think if Mike Evans was playing the entire game that Jair Alexander would be shadowing him? I bet they would start out in the zone to see uh, how it goes. Sorry, and continue what you were saying before. No, but you you already have a lot of injuries. Chris Godwin didn't play last game. Uh, they they have a ton of injuries at that position, so that would just kind of pile on. We as Packer fans already know that Akeem Hicks is a good defensive tackle. He's with the Bears the last handful of years. Yep. So that's clearly big. And then also the other one being Wells on the offensive line. This is a Buccaneers offensive line that is already beat up due to injury, due to retirements in the offseason. Mm-hmm. That's that's big time hits for them. It's huge. Um, and they're not playing that good offensively to begin with. Yeah. And Tom Brady, uh, by the way, won't be practicing today. Did you see the report that Tom Brady is now getting every Wednesday off of practice? Did you Did you see that? that yeah, he's on the Bakhtiari plan. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's Bakhtiari plan? You miss one day, practice the next. Miss one day, practice the next. Tom Brady's like, I'm just not going to practice on Wednesdays. And I don't think Tuesdays in the NFL they really have much going on because uh, that's when the Packers have off. But, yeah, I mean, Tom Brady's not looking the greatest this year, but it's still at the end of the day. It's, it's Tom Brady and the team's 2-0, and and the Packers don't really fare too well in the state of Florida, but things looking a little nicer for the Green Bay Packers. I haven't heard much uh, really about the Packers in, uh, on injury front. I know they didn't practice yesterday, so we're not going to get much out of there. I looked at the injury report, and the only thing of note was really David Bakhtiari, yeah. which has yeah. been on the injury report for a year and a half now. So Yeah, uh, we, already, we already know. That. I'll pencil him in as out. Yeah. Uh, I would maybe just be, well, Rowdy, they did say uh, you were sniffing around on Twitter and what, this was two weeks ago, last week we were talking about this, that, uh, well, Elton Jenkins is thrown into this, but Elton Jenkins and David Bakhtiari were trending to be uh, playing by week three. Yeah, I know week, Elton Jenkins Week three played. or four was so, the... Elton Jenkins ahead of schedule. That was also, uh, was that leading up to week one or it was either right before week one was, or right after week one. I think it was leading up to week one, if I remember but correctly. But regardless... I'm penciling them in and out as out until we know something different. Yeah, David Bakhtiari, don't hold your breath. Ever since he took my cheese job with Ellen Box, been game over. Uh, but you know, Tom Brady, speaking of Tommy, he was on Sirius XM and he was talking about the Mike Evans suspension. So, you know, Mike Evans, after he screamed out of nowhere and shoved down Lattimore and yada, 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 he was saying to the refs, it's Tom Brady. What do you want me to do? It's Tom Brady. It's Tom Brady. Like, I got to protect him as a quarterback, and it's, Tom Brady, uh, the GOAT. 
Tom Brady was on Sirius talking about the suspension of uh, or uh, sorry, Mike Evans. Take a listen to it, Rowdy. Let's hear. Well, it was an emotional game against a team that we have a tough time with, and I think everyone prior to the game felt very intense. The game was intense. It was a hard hitting game, and um, you know, Mike and Marshawn. You know, they've had their own battles over the years. And, and look, I think just sometimes the emotions get the best of us. And I love Mike. And the fact that Mike would come out there to defend me, I mean, it means everything in the world to me as a teammate and a friend. And Mike knows how I feel about him. So in the end, emotions are a part of sports. Sometimes they boil over. It's an unfortunate circumstance. I don't think it deserved any type of suspension. Um, I think that's ridiculous. You know, hopefully we can move past it, get to a better place. And, you know, in the end, I appreciate Mike having my back. I know he'll learn from it. And he knows that we all have his back. Rowdy, there's a lot of people out on the football field. A lot of emotion is running high for just about everyone on there. I don't really see too many people uh, running up after the play is dead and, you know, I don't want to say viciously, but kind of blindsiding uh, a player and throwing him down the ground. Do you think it was ridiculous that Mike Evans was suspended one game? I know it's the game of football, but is that ridiculous? I mean, I if I was the commissioner of the NFL... I wouldn't have suspended him. I mean, I wouldn't have cared either, but at the end of the day, I mean, rules are rules and you have to have them in place. I don't think it's ridiculous that he was suspended one game, especially uh, because these two had bad blood and have done it in the past. So it's, what are you going to do? Is it Tom Brady? Yeah. Do you have to protect your quarterback? Yeah. Or your teammate? Yeah. Uh, Is it a violent game to begin with? Yes. Was it a cheap shot that was after the play and probably shouldn't have happened? Yes. So is there a suspension looming? Yes. One game suspension coming in hot. So, Rowdy, that is what it is for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who have uh, not been looking the greatest, but still 2-0. But you know who else is 2-0? The New York Giants. Things can be a little deceiving, right, Nels? Yeah, the Gi- but the Giants <laughs> have also played two bad teams, as at least the Buccaneers have played some respectable teams. But it's Tom Brady doesn't look old, though. Like, he might look old and look weird in his interviews, but if you watch him play the last couple of weeks, he doesn't look like he's fallen off a cliff. That offense is just, the offensive line yeah. is beat up, and it's worse than what it was last year. The receiving core, nobody is healthy, and now Mike Evans is going to be down. So, I mean, it's not like he's getting a ton of help, but yeah, when given time, he still looks like Tom Brady. Yeah, I mean, he had an awesome touchdown pass in the fourth quarter against the Saints. And then uh, on the defensive side of things, uh, right here, there, Akeem Hicks, Rowdy said, and if you remember him, he was Chicago Bear, uh, tore the plantar fasciitis in his uh, left foot, or plantar fascia in his left foot, expected to be sidelined for at least one month, suffered that in the second quarter against the Saints. So that's huge. And, uh, you know, Josh Wells, what was his expectation? Suffered a calf injury against the Saints. So uh, he was starting in place of Donovan Smith, who was inactive because of an elbow injury. So uh, Akeem Hicks was brought in on a one-year deal, uh, replacing Ndamukong Suh, because, you know, Ndamukong Suh, obviously no longer there. And then the Buccaneers' defense, uh, pretty good so far under the uh, for the first two games under Bulls, just surrendering an average of six and a half points through the first two games. That's the best mark in the NFL. So you look at a team uh, that's got a little injury here, but averaging six and a half points for the first two games. And you look at the Green Bay Packers who, um, I don't know, what, what did you say offensively? Obviously they're a lot better um, against, you know, the game that just happened against the Bears than they were against the Vikings. But are we trending up for this Packers offense or there's still some hiccups, some things to iron out, Rowdy? 
The second quarter was great for the Packers. Well, clearly their offense so far this season through two games has come and gone with the running backs and getting the running backs the ball. What they had between the two, they had like 33 ish carries. And then that's not to mention a couple of, you know, passes their way. Yeah. If they get the running backs to ball, they're clearly in a better spot than when they try and get it to their receivers. Yeah, so I mean the Packers uh, ironing things out still. It's 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 trending up, thankfully, um, not down, which wouldn't be good. But yeah, I mean getting those running backs involved and what's that? Uh, get Aaron Jones, AJ Dillon, like a, a minimum of fifteen touches per game. I know Aaron Rodgers was vocal about that. Matt Lafleur talking about that though, uh, too, to get them you know going. Aaron Jones, uh, AJ Dillon, absolutely phenoms. And then to see what happens with um, you know Sammy Watkins, nice to see him getting going. Randall Cobb getting involved a little bit. Uh, Alan Lazard back off the injury list after being stepped on a couple weeks ago. And then you kind of wonder what happens with Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs. It looks like uh, you know they're getting a little more involved. Oh, by the way, uh, I found that audio rowdy on uh, Christian Watson. Uh, Matt Lafleur was talking about it. We were kind of we were teeing off of Christian Watson a little bit about a that huge touchdown pass that he dropped against the Vikings. And then what happened on um, Sunday against the Bears when he was running uh, that motion and he the ball was snapped and he you know was a cause of a fumble. Turns out it wasn't Christian Watson's fault. Did you hear the audio from Lafleur about this? I have not. Here I'm gonna I'm gonna play it for you. Uh, they were asked about you know is, is it Christian Watson's fault you know for that shotgun snap that Josh Myers led to a fumble. Yeah, no, it was um, it, the the ball shouldn't have been snapped right there. We actually were running a counter motion. So he was going to come back the other way. Um, But it it got snapped, obviously. So it wasn't Christian Watson's fault, Rowdy. That's even a tougher look for Josh Myers, who (laughs) had his own struggles blocking. And Mm -hmm. then now that snap. mm. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. So uh, Christian Watson, what was your fault? Dropping that 71-yard pass against the Vikings to open up. You know, the first offensive play for your season. What was not your fault? It was Josh Myers' fault. Was that snap that Aaron Rodgers uh, was a little perturbed by, and rightfully so. Uh, Christian Watson, though, talking about the development of him. Here's some more from head coach Matt LaFleur. Well, that's a great question because, uh, you know, I hope he's got a long way in front of him. Um, you know, he's, he's a young player. And, uh, you know, I, I think he's far from a finished product. So that's a credit to him because he's still a guy that we're going to try to find ways to get him the football. And uh, I think it was a good lesson about having to run with a little bit lower pad level on the one jet sweep. He, he got hit pretty good. I think he thought he had a clear lane to the, down the sidelines, and it kind of surprised him, caught, caught him off guard. But, um, you know, I'm really pleased with, with where he is, but also know that he's got a, a long way to go for him to maximize his potential. And we talked about this, right, Rowdy? Is, uh, we thought maybe Romeo Dobbs would be more farther along uh, than Christian Watson. You see Christian Watson maybe Flores uh, a little later, a late bloomer, Well, if I'm you will. glad that uh, Matt LaFleur doesn't think that Christian Watson is a finished product because if he was, <laughs> that'd be um, not a good look for trading up as a second-round pick. Yeah, a late bloomer for Christian Watson. Romeo Dobbs, though, uh, Matt LaFleur was asked, you know, is, is Romeo Dobbs on the fast track of development, uh, how they're using him? Yeah, I think that's one of the toughest positions to, to jump into this league and just, uh, you know, because there, there's a rapport that has to be developed with your quarterback. Um, and pause right there. And obviously, you know, 
Romeo Dobbs was eating lunch with Aaron Rodgers, picking his brain, first one in, last one out uh, for training camp. But then, obviously, Rowdy, the, the report takes a while to build because we've seen now two games in a row where Romeo, where Aaron Rodgers uh, tries to hit him on a little quick, little quick pass, and Romeo Dobbs just isn't ready for it. So the rapport still building with number twelve. And the only way you do that is go out there and play. And 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 I think, um, you know, you try to make practice as game like as humanly possible, but it's it's virtually impossible to to truly replicate that speed. And, um, you know, he's a guy that, again, we got a lot of confidence in, you know, shoot, we probably don't score um, one of the touchdowns when we get that 20-yard screen pass to Dobbs um, if, if, he's, if he doesn't make that play. And granted, there was some great blocking along with that. Randall Cobb had a huge block on that play. But, um, you know, I think, I think the future is bright for him. And future is bright for Romeo Dobbs, Rowdy. There you go. It's got to feel good to hear. Trouble in Tampa? Uh-oh. Mike Evans suspended one game. He, uh, His agent, his lawyers himself, they appealed uh, it yesterday. Waiting to hear back from the NFL. You've got to imagine that he is uh, getting it upheld, the one game. Also, Akeem Hicks is going to be missing. He has a plantar fascia tear. Uh, expected to miss a month. And their tackle, Josh Wells, is probably going to miss as well as he suffered a calf injury against the Saints on Sunday. There's a lot of uh, problems creeping up. And then you've got Tom Brady potentially in the midst of trying to save his marriage with Giselle. As the scuttlebutt is that there's a little uh, a little animosity between the two. Whatever. I mean, <laughs> we're not going to go TMZ on him. Uh, but this boding well for the Packers. But, Rowdy, you have this. The Packers who don't do good in Florida for some reason. We saw the ass hand uh, kicking. Uh, that they had uh, against the Saints in Jacksonville. And every time the – and you said this yesterday, it always seems like the Packers, when they play the Buccaneers outside of Lambeau Field and, you know, Kevin King debacle, is they always have to be at Raymond James Field to take on the, the Buccaneers, and they stink. Stink against them. But I don't know. This offense and this team seems to be trending. Um, I know the Buccaneers are uh, undefeated and they're 2-0. and but doesn't it feel like the Packers are trending up and the Buccaneers are kind of trying to find themselves? I know the Packers are trying to find themselves, but the Bucks look a little out of sorts, especially with these injuries. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that this game comes down to is we know that, well, let's just talk about the things that we know, right? Yeah. We know Tom Brady's great. We know that Aaron Rodgers is great. We know that both of these defense on paper are pretty dang good. Mm-hmm. Both of these defenses can get after the quarterback can play coverage. The one thing that I'm really looking at outside of, because we haven't talked about the injuries yet, what the Packers have to do well, I think it starts, and I think the most key thing for the Green Bay Packers is the offensive line. Yeah. Because we've seen in the past Tampa Bay, whether it's, you know, in a Super Bowl against Patrick Mahomes or whether it was games against Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, Tampa Bay gets after the quarterback. They got a really good front seven. Devin Williams, who is a a really good uh, inside linebacker, they're using him more and more in blitz packages, and and he's becoming a really good rusher. And that's not even talking about the guys that normally rush the quarterback in the front seven. So I think it comes down to the Green Bay Packers offensive line. Maybe this is why we saw them take week one to try and fiddle and figure out out their offensive line. Now, 
maybe this is why they wanted Elton Jenkins back because we know that there were those reports out there week one where it was like, ah, you won't see Bakhtiari or Jenkins until week three, maybe four. Mm-hmm. Maybe they wanted to get him out there a week early to see what he could do to see if it was worth getting him out there against Tampa when they're really going to need him. Now, maybe Bakhtiari's knee really just is that bad, and he's the one where it's like... I think like, they brought in four or five offensive linemen yesterday and tried him out to sign you know, maybe the practice squad to get some little depth. So I don't know how good the, that bodes for David Bakhtiari. But you did see like a Jake Hansen playing week one, then a lot of Zach Tom week one. We, we, we're kind of starting to see the offensive line, I think, round out a little bit to how you think it'll go the rest of the season, yeah. whether or not David Bakhtiari comes back or not, whatever. But I think you're trying to figure it out because you have to protect Aaron Rodgers in this game. We know that the Chicago Bears always have a pretty solid defense. They like to get after the quarterback. Yeah. Robert Quinn had the second most sacks in the NFL last year. The Bears still got to Aaron Rodgers or at least pressured him a decent amount. They have to sure up the offensive line because if Aaron Rodgers isn't able to have some time to throw the football, you become very one-dimensional. And on top of that, the Buccaneers, what else do they do really well besides getting after the quarterback? Well, they excel at stopping the run. So I think it starts with the offensive line. You need to be able to block, straight up block. Yep. And then it goes to, can the Green Bay Packers get the running game going? We talked about how the wide receivers kind of have to play off the run game because they're just not there yet, especially with Dobbs and with Watson. Yeah, Watkins and Cobb are what they are. They'll make a nice play here and there, but they're old. They can't be the big-time star players. Tampa Bay, they give up so far in the first two games, and you would say overall, right? Dallas likes to run the football with Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott. Yep. They like to get her going on the ground. New Orleans has a ton of running backs behind Kamara. Kamara was out for that Buccaneer game, Mm. but they overall like to run the football to your buddy Taysom Hill. Yep. Uh, He's great at running up uh, one yard, maybe up the gut. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers for the first two games have only allowed 87 yards on the ground per game. That's obviously the complete opposite of what the Green Bay Packers want to do. The Green Bay Packers want to double that. The they, Green- they would want Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon both to have 87 yards apiece. Yeah, yeah and they're making a point to have 15 carries for him. According to Pro Football Focus, the Packers through two weeks have the highest run grade in the NFL. So Jones and Dillon getting it done despite them not using them much uh, in that first game against the Minnesota Vikings. But the highest run grade so far in the NFL. And that speaks volumes because look what happened against the bears where Jones ran wild and Dylan was pretty damn good too. And they're going to have to do that. Cause then that obviously helps the offensive line. Cause imagine if Tampa Bay can shut down that green Bay Packers run game. And now all of a sudden you have to rely on Christian Watson. You have to rely on, on, um, Romeo Dobbs. So they have breakout games then. And then the the ghosts of Sammy Watkins and hey, Watkins Randall look Cobb, good. So and, so Cobb and all those guys. But if if they start to shut down that run and Green Bay has to drop back to pass and it becomes passing downs, Tampa's going to be able to pin their ears back and come after Rodgers. And that's where we've seen, you talked about it, the Green Bay offensive line graded out pretty dang good running the football. Yes, indeed. Hasn't graded out as well blocking for the pass. Yeah. So that I really do think it starts with the offensive line, then the running backs, because we know that the defense should be solid. And we know that we didn't even talk about it. 
Tampa Bay is just devastated on the offensive line with injuries and now devastated at wide receiver with injuries and Mike Evans. I think he still will be suspended no, he will with be. you. Yeah, yeah. And Akeem Hicks, a part of that defense up the middle out. We've yeah. seen him be a, a run stopper with the bears. He's been a problem. I think a lot of this bodes well for Green Bay if they can get good O-line and running back play. Let's go. And Packers, just they got to shake that. They got to shake that little Florida curse off of them, you know? I don't know what it is about that state when it comes to the Packers, but shake it off, baby. All the other snowbirds of Wisconsin love the state of Florida. Why can't you? All right, we'll take a little step back here. It's it's because they're not old and retired yet. That's true, yeah. They don't have gray hairs yet. Aaron Judge. Woof. Aaron Judge last night. Three infielders on the left side for Judge, and here's the 3 1. Drove deep to left field. There it goes. Number 60. Slide over, babe. You've got some company. Aaron Judge, Rowdy, is 60th dinger. And then that set up uh, Gene Carl Stanton's walk off Grand Slam. Uh, after that against the Pittsburgh Pirates. So Giancarlo Stanton now part of the 60 home run club. Aaron Judge. What did I say? Giancarlo Stanton. Sorry, Aaron Judge, part of the 60 home run club. And he gets it done. He's going to be breaking that record sooner than later. The question, Rowdy, is now this. Is baseball with analytics... And Aaron Judge with the home runs, leading to a place that we don't want it to be. Wade Boggs. Now, it's cool what Aaron Judge is doing. Don't get me wrong. That's awesome. Well, Aaron Judge is also not just doing it via the long ball. Aaron Judge is in contention for a triple crown, which means, yeah, he's hitting the ball at the ballpark. Yeah, he's being productive and bringing in runs. But he's also hitting for an extremely high average. Uh, Speaking of averages and hitting, uh, you'll hear a lot of these people say that analytics are the way to go. It's all about the numbers. It's all about the analytics. You guys that don't appreciate the analytics, you're just the dinosaurs. <laughs> Wade Boggs <laughs> quote tweeted uh, uh, this. Major League Baseball's league average, the 2-4-3 batting average. Yeah, is 243. The, is 243 batting average is the lowest since 1968 and tied for the fifth lowest in history. Dating back to 1871, Wade Boggs takes that tweet and he says, how's all that analytics working? Rowdy, how is all that analytics working? Well, the sport of baseball and Major League Baseball itself always talks about its product, its product. We have to have a marketable product to the younger generation because a lot of the fans of Major League Baseball are getting older and older. Mm-hmm. Well, your product sucks. Very, more very more nice. of the home runs or strikeouts or what some of them term it, the she gone movement. She gone. It's not as fun to watch. Like, look at the Mets. The Mets were awful yesterday for basically the first six innings. Put a couple swings on a couple balls, and the next thing you know, it's seven. They have seven runs on the board, and they're winning. Yeah, they had four but hits. For the majority of that game, you would say as a Mets fan, it was pretty boring. Mm-hmm. And then they think that it's really about time. No, Mm-mm. the thing that the the thing that uh, college football or NFL football when they have these well, three and a half so hour boring. yeah it's these so three long. and a half hour games that are actually longer than the average Major League Baseball game because I believe the last time I looked the average Major League Baseball game was like three hours and ten minutes yeah and your standard college it's football like game is like three and a half hours yep 
It's not about time and being boring. It's about exciting things actually happening. Correct. Like a football, you have what? One play of a six, every every forty seconds of a of an hour of time that a football game takes of actual time. Like it's over a three hour, three and a half hour broadcast. But of sixty minutes, the ball is actually only in play for tops eleven minutes total of the sixty total. Yeah, and it's short spurt plays. Like yeah. normally, a play is less than ten seconds long. And you have one play every 30 to 40 seconds. Mm -hmm. Like there's really, remember how they, in Major League Baseball, they want to, well, they are bringing in that pitch clock where it's a 30 second pitch clock. Yes. And they basically timed all these pitchers in the minor leagues and blah, 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 blah. And it turns out a lot of the pitchers actually only hold it for 30 seconds anyway. So this isn't even going to change a whole lot. <laughs> like, yeah, you'll have your, your player here or there that's on there for 40 seconds or a minute where he fixes it. I, I get it. But a lot of the guys and Brent Suter's even quicker than that. Yeah. The Raptors fast. He gets, that's the one thing. That's the only thing I like about him. What you're missing is the excitement of a triple, your excitement of a hit and run, your excitement of getting thrown out at second base or stealing second base. All that stuff is exciting to watch. It brings more action. Now it's basically like a glorified slow pitch softball. Yeah. Get on base any way you can and then watch for the guy to hit it out of the ballpark or strike out. And I'm going to say that slow pitch softball when you're hitting home runs and playing it that way is a lot more fun than sitting there watching major league baseball try and basically do the same thing. Yeah. So, Rowdy, in a football game, there's 11 minutes of action. Um, there is uh, replays take up 17 minutes of each NFL game. And then for the most far, uh, part, fans are consuming 75 minutes of non-action, consisting of coaches, players, and referees standing. And then if you're a Brewer fan, how fun is it to finally get a couple people on base and then all of a sudden the Brewers have to hit with runners in scoring position or or hit with just runners on base in general, and you look up and see that they're awful. They can't hit with runners in scoring position. Terrible. They can't hit with runners on base just in general. I know for one of those statistics, they're in the bottom five mm -hmm. when it comes to, uh, I believe it was OPS-wise, they were in the bottom five with runners in scoring position this year. They were in the bottom ten for batting average with runners in scoring position. Like, they've been awful. So you waited long enough to finally see them get a couple guys on base, and then they can't hit the ball when they're on base because you're waiting for that big home run. Yeah. And that's why we say the Brewers, when they win, they, they hit home runs in bunches. When they lose, they can't hit home runs. It's feast or famine, and, and it's getting more and more boring to watch. They're doing it to themselves. They, they totally are. And they, they want to do it even more so. They want to, you know, that's where the new rules are coming into play too. Well, check this out, Rowdy. I actually found, uh, so in a, in a football broadcast, the ball is in play for 11 minutes. And you'd think, would you think it's the ball in baseball is in play for more or less for a major league baseball game than 11 minutes? I would say more. 17 minutes is what the ball is in play for, well, for a major league baseball game. Well, that's because majority of your outs are probably going to be balls batted on into play. Mm -hmm. 70 or uh, 75 minutes of advertising for a football game, 67 minutes of players standing around 17 minutes of replays and 11 minutes of actual playing time. That's what you get in an NFL game. 
But people want to say baseball is long and boring. College football is even worse. I mean, that's even that's even oof, tough. But uh, our guy Corey Marshall said that's how you perceive time. Uh, we but we perceive it moving quickly due to uh, continual action. If there's a lot of tasks to accomplish during the week or a football game, it's all relative, man. All right, so Brewers an afternoon game today, Rowdy against the New York Mets. Uh, Brewers have lost three in a row. They will get swept by the Mets if they lose today. That would be then four in a row. The Brewers had an opportunity to capitalize on the wild card spot. Instead, the Phillies, who got absolutely pounded 18 to 11 by the Blue Jays, uh, Brewers are like, okay, well, how about this? We're going to give four hits up to the Mets and lose seven to five. Taylor Rogers, the piece in the Josh Hader trade, walked the, the bases loaded and then gave up the grand slam, which was the difference of the Brewers taking. The L. Oh, here you go. Our guy Todd. Happy belated birthday, Toddy. Uh, nice seeing you um, uh, downtown for the Badger game. Bigger bases and limited pickoffs will increase steal attempts, or at least it did in the minors. Because remember, Rowdy, they're making bigger bases coming up here. The shift is going to be banned. Bigger bases and a pitch clock. So with a bigger base, I guess that is the theory. Uh, steals and or pickoff attempts will be uh, bring a little excitement to the well, game. Well, just look at last night. The Brewers had guys on base quite a bit. They ended up scoring five runs. They left ten guys on. Mm. The Mets didn't do jack. They left three runners on, but they went two for five with runners in scoring position. One happened to be a three-run shot, the other a grand slam. It's not the greatest. I'll tell you that. It's plagued the Brewers all season. And one of the other big bugaboos for the Brewers, which is normally, what did we know going into this season? The Brewers were supposed to be the most talented team in the NL Central. They were supposed to be, there was only supposed to be one other team that was contending. Mm -hmm. They were supposed to win 90 plus games. They were supposed to be the class of the NL Central. They were supposed to be a shoe in for the playoffs. The starting pitching was supposed to be really good. Well, the starting pitching was injured pretty much all season. Mm. The bullpen was supposed to be top 10. The bullpen last time I looked was ranked 16th in ERA and 17th in whip. They sold your best piece at the deadline. The bullpen let you down. When everyone says, oh, this offense sucks, this offense didn't do this. Actually, This offense has been slightly better than last year's offense when you look at runs per game. Yeah. The one stat that really matters, how many runs you're scoring, they're actually slightly better. They're actually in the top 10 of scoring in runs per game. What let them down is the starting pitching being injured and the bullpen bullpen just being terrible. And your front office peeing on your leg and telling you it's raining. You were you were expecting that that pitching rotation, that starting pitching rotation would be a top 5 to 7 rotation. Remember they had publications early in the year yeah. saying 1, 2, you know, it's kind of like them or the Mets who would have the best rotation. Guess what? Brewers had a ton of injuries and then the Mets were also without Scherzer for 10 weeks and they didn't have DeGrom for the first 2-3 months. Yet the Mets found a way. The Mets are a small ball team for the majority of the year, weren't they? The, the Mets don't hit nearly as many no. as home runs as the Brewers. The Brewers were in the top five for home runs hit, yeah. but also in the bottom the of the league, like the 20th hitting with runners in scoring position, the Mets are like the complete opposite. Yeah. The Mets were like 20th in the league hitting home runs, but they were right up there 
OPS and batting average wise when they do put runners on. They, they got a better bullpen. They had better starters, even with their two injuries. But yeah, the, the big letdown, the offense was very similar to what it was last year. It was just slightly better. Yeah, it was. It was more of a feast or famine, long ball or strikeout, but they were actually a little bit better at doing that this year. All right, we'll see the what rotation happens. getting hurt. You can't do anything about, but that bullpen Tough. The big time names that stayed relatively healthy the entire year and then trading Josh Hader, the bullpen was a complete disaster this year. And that's probably the number one. Yeah. If you were going to break it down and do offense, starting pitching, bullpen, blah, blah, blah. That's probably number one on why you're sitting here. And I think part of that is uh, how the manager manages, but I digress. Last night, God, uh, I've got to try and find the, the call for it. it. The Brewers stopped putting up... As an affiliate, they give you highlights. Uh, there's someone's job to take, you know, the best moments of the game, cut them, snip them down, clipping and snipping, and then they put them in like a, a Google Doc for uh, the affiliates to, to find and can play them back and yada yada yada. Well, uh, boys, the the Brewers stopped putting up highlights on the 18th, so maybe eventually they'll uh, get back around to it. So I'm trying to find the Lindor Grand Slam, uh, but. Been a lot of low lights. That's why. Yeah. Well, they usually do highlights or highlights for both teams, or you'd say highlights from the Brewers, low lights uh, from the opposing team. Uh, but last night, yes, the New York Mets. The Brewers now lost three in a row after uh, up four to nothing on the Mets, and then um, one thing led to another four hits. But they made them all count for the New York Mets. They would beat the Brewers seven to five. I think the cherry on top of the Sunday rowdy. Was uh, and RJ was the final piece of that Josh Hader trade, getting Rogers in return. He's the one who uh, fell victim uh, again for a Brewers loss. It's got that's got to be the cherry in the Sunday for that Josh Hader trade, right, Rowdy? You get uh, Taylor Rogers up there, the guy that gets absolutely decimated. Yeah, it's poetic justice, but also <laughs> maybe he should learn to just throw strikes. Yeah, that'd help because he walked the bases, didn't he? Loaded the bases were loaded. He had three walks in that inning and, and then, gave up just one hit, the Grand Slam. The Grand Salami. Like, fact, uh, you just throw strikes, that never happens. I don't have the radio <laughs> call, but here's the just, You just think it's funny that the front office tried to sell to the Brewer fans that they traded Josh Hader for two prospects that they liked, which I agree with. I mean, those guys have also played pretty well for the Milwaukee Brewers, but then that they tried to, you know, do a little split of a now and the future deal where they got the two prospects, but instead of maybe getting like four prospects, they went with two major league pitchers, <laughs> one that they would only uh, DFA days later. And the other one that was a closer in the NL and could be a, a solid piece on this team. He's going to be good. He's, he's the second best. He was God awful since May. <laughs> And you traded for him in, in what, August? Yeah. He was god-awful since May. The cherry on the Sunday, the icing on the cake. And you DFA'd the other big leaguer. Yeah. Here, here, take a listen last night. And a fly ball to deep left. Back Yelich running track, and Lindor is hit a grand slam to give the Mets the lead. Wow. Two swings, a three-run home yeah. off the bat of Alonzo. Now the grand slam off the bat of Lindor. Fastball up down the middle of the. The Brewers were up four to nothing. 
They gave up four hits to the Mets. They lose seven to five. Here's the thing. They could have made up ground again on the Phillies as the Phillies got bolt raced 18 to 11. Brewers are like, eh, you know what? We still like being two and a half games behind. Technically three and a half because there's no tiebreaker for them. <laughs> and we really like this position we're that we're okay in. here, guys. Milwaukee's also, and Rowdy, you like this. Milwaukee's loss also clinched a playoff spot. Not for the Brewers, oh no. For the, and Rowdy's, Atlanta Braves. Yeah. Yep, that's five years in a row now. <laughs> that's, a, that's a team that's actually made it five years in we a row. We did it. But yeah, yeah. I digress. Here, you want to go through Taylor Rogers' ERA by month? Because remember, remember in April, he was one of the best closers in baseball. Uh, him and Josh Hader were arguably mirrors of each other. Yeah. ERA of zero through mm, April. Sounds pretty good. Then, if you remember, he blew that game against the Brewers where somebody might have oh, you had, had money on that. the Padres in that game. We could all, this could all stem from that route. Yeah. The karma for the Brewers could all that stem day. from you. This was, this was in Cause you were a Brewers fan late then. May when we had the Padres on the money line, and he blew a, I believe it was a 5-1 to one lead or a 4-1 lead. Andrew McCutcheon had the walk-off. Andrew McCutcheon walked it off, if I remember correctly. But his ERA in May was 270. And then since May, here are his ERAs per month. June, 559. July, 931. You traded for him after two straight months of an ERA of 559 and 931. And you tried to sell it as if you were getting some big time closer. And doesn't need cortisone shots in his knee? Well, yeah, he had a sore elbow. He had a sore knee. And... He wasn't ever that good as he was pitching those first two months of the season any other year in his career. And then since the Brewers acquired him, he has an ERA right around four. And then in September, it's 10.57. I figured it out. I I can pinpoint the... Now, a lot of people say that the Josh Hader trade was the... He's been awful since basically the start of June. People will point to the Josh Hader trade and say that's the moment that the Brewers... I I, I think I figured it out. <laughs> it comes from that day. Karma is a dish best served cold. Karma, when Rowdy was a Brewers fan, bet on the Padres to beat the Brewers. Taylor Rogers is up pitching. Andrew McCutcheon walks it off a crazy ninth. The Brewers come from behind, get the win. Rowdy comes on the next day just livid, just pissed that the Brewers won. And he failed in his bet, unfortunately, for the Razor's Edge. But that the Brewers won. He was livid, pissed. <laughs> they should have never won that game. Uh, sorry, excuse, blah, 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 blah. What happens? Taylor Rogers eventually becomes a Milwaukee Brewer and now is just serving up meatballs as the well, Brewers continue to spiral down the drain, all because Rowdy spurned his Milwaukee Brewers at the time before swearing them off to the Braves. Uh, said they stink. And now Taylor Rogers, the guy that was the reason why he lost his bet, is now a brewer giving up playoff positioning for the crew. Now you can do mental gymnastics and roll with that karma. conspiracy theory. Karma. It's, or, it's not conspiracy. It's karma. Or it's karma. You could just roll with reality and say Taylor Rogers just is, sucks ass. It is reality. You could say that because that same game, I remember it clear as day. He couldn't throw strikes in that game either. Couldn't get him over. Couldn't throw strikes last night either. It's instant karma. It. Unbelievable. Can't win with him. Can you just take a breath and say the season's almost over? It's a- exactly two I mean, weeks left of Brewer games still until two and the season's half. over. I mean, it doesn't seem like they're going to make it, a- it is over. When's the last time they weren't two and a half down? 
When's the last time they were within Probably, probably they got a few days ago they got the one and a three half. and a half? Well, when was one and a half? Uh, <laughs> last week when the Brewers had an off day and oh, the Padres yep, yep, lost. Yep. Karma, dude. And then well, the next day. Karma. On Monday, we talked about karma. how the Brewers had been playing pretty karma. good ball the last 10 to 15 days, had had won a lot of series, but the big the big key was this going to be this week against the Mets and then what you do at Cincinnati for four games. Mm. Well, so far, you're 0-2 against the Mets with your backs against the wall playing an afternoon today game today. That's One like time. a must win. That's basically a must win. Yeah. Because if you lose today and you get swept by the Mets at home, you have to go on the road for the next four days against a lesser opponent in the Cincinnati Reds in which you've already struggled against this yep. season. And you would, in theory, probably have to sweep a four-game series yeah. mm-hmm. yep. on the road yep. against a team that's interdivision that sees you yep. all the time, and you've sucked against this year. Yep. You have Good luck with that. I would say games left. right now... Your if, magic number is 13. <laughs> right now, your ideal probably rest of the week... I can't quit you. ...is salvaging a game today and winning three out of four against the Reds and finishing this uh, seven games in seven days at four and three yeah, and hoping you're still in it and hoping Philly continues to play bad baseball and hoping that San Diego doesn't continue to win like that. That's basically all you can that's do it. starting out. zero and two to this yep. week, big matchup looms Saturday, your Wisconsin Badgers soon to take on Ohio state uh, at the horseshoe. The line is now all the way up to what rowdy. Yeah. In some places it's up to 19. Woo. Uh, money keeps coming in heavy on the Buckeyes. Uh, before I uh, dive in, and or we dive in, and I play a little comments from Jim Leonard, uh, I do want to put this out there. Uh, this is a good way to get you primed for that game on Saturday. It's Verona's Hometown Brewdown Festival. It's this Saturday from 2 to 6 p.m. And it's, um, let's see here, 50-plus breweries, 150-plus beers to sample, plus tailgate games, live music, and food and cheese vendors. So that's pretty awesome. You can go to hometownbrewdown.com uh, to buy tickets and all the information right there. But what a way to spend uh, two to six, you know, checking out all the festivities, the breweries, the samples, the food, the tailgate games, the live music, and then get ready for the 6.30 kickoff on ABC of Wisconsin to take on the Ohio State Buckeyes. Little, little leery about the game, but got to have, I have faith. Rowdy does not. I have a little faith, but uh, we'll see what happens come. What do you think that game's over, Rowdy? Like 10, 9.30, 10 o'clock? Or maybe halftime? <laughs> <laughs> Start of the second quarter. <laughs> Gotta but, have faith. Yeah, 6 o'clock game. 6 th- 6.30? Yeah, it'll be done probably by... Prime time, though, so it's really long. 10. Yeah. College football is the longest of all sports. Oh, baseball's so long. Actually, it's not. It's college football is the longest sport to watch um, from start to finish uh, of the game. Rowdy, we have comments from Jim Leonard, the Wisconsin Badgers defensive coordinator. Uh, Jimothy, you know, fielding a lot of questions this year after the loss to Washington State. Like, you know, are you going to go elsewhere? Blah, blah. He's like, I'm staying here. I love Wisconsin. And he talks about uh, on why he told the team that this game is bigger than anything else that they've played in. I, I think we all can agree on that, right? I mean, this is... This, this is, is their the biggest Super Bowl. game. This is it. Yeah, this is yeah. This is their Super Bowl. Here's Jim. It counts for one. It does count for one. So in in a sense, right? You can't make it bigger. 
than what it is, but you're kidding yourself if going and playing in front of 100,000 people on the road for the first time, if you're going to have that same feeling pregame that we did last week, right? So I think it's an awareness of, of understanding, like, you can either admit that it's going to be a lot of fun and an awesome atmosphere right now and get ready for it, or you show up on game day and go, damn, this is, this is pretty cool. A lot of things going against the Badgers, right, Rowdy? I mean, how many Heisman candidates are on Ohio State? This is a hell of a juggernaut of a team. Uh, it's in Horseshoe, 100,000 fans screaming at you. Uh, Badgers have not played on the road this season. And uh, the level of competition they've played, a little lesser than what uh, I would say Ohio State has played. The last time they beat Ohio State was at Camp Randall in 2010. Jim Leonard says, though, as a competitor, you want to play in these type of games. As a competitor, you want to play great teams. You want to play teams that are playing well. You don't want to do it every week. Right? That's, you'd rather play the teams you can beat up on, but it's a huge challenge for you to go out there against you know, groups that you know are extremely talented. Right, speaking of talent, Rowdy, now I've heard some people say that C.J. Stroud is a run-first quarterback. That could be probably the wrongest thing I've ever heard. Rowdy, what would you call uh, C.J. Stroud, a pocket passer? Like, that's his game? Yeah, and, and C.J. Stroud has been a pocket passer pretty much his entire career with Ohio State, and I would argue all the way back to high school. But but uh, C.J. Stroud against Notre Dame. He ran the ball three times for one yard. C.J. Stroud against Arkansas State. He ran the ball two times for negative one yards. And then against Toledo, the other team they bolt raced 77 to 21. CJ Stroud ran the ball two times for nine yards. Yeah, I would say if you're looking for a run first quarterback that played at Ohio State, you have to go back to like JT Barrett. There was like three guys in a row where they had like Pryor, Pryor, Miller, and then uh, JT Barrett. That's probably your three. But yeah, since then, they've definitely had a lot of more pocket passers. Now, C.J. Stroud is elusive in a sense like Aaron Rodgers is elusive, not to compare the two, but it's uh, a guy that can move up in the pocket and have some footwork, right? Am I wrong in saying that? But he's not C.J. Stroud go, is a Heisman candidate He's not going to go running out of the pocket. He's a Heisman candidate quarterback. Like, he's clearly good. Whether he's running the football in the pocket, like... The guy is good. He's yeah. And the Badgers the Badgers are going to have to stop him. And by stopping him, they're going to have to get pressure on him. They're going to have to give him different looks in the secondary. Because we know that right now this Badgers defense, we've talked about it every week. Yeah, they're good. Yeah, they have some stars recruiting wise, talent wise, but they're also kind of inexperienced, especially at the linebacker position, especially at you know, this in the secondary they're going to have to have their corners play well, yeah. especially when they have all this talent at wide receiver. They do have good running backs. Again, C.J. Stroud is is up for a Heisman. Yeah. Like, and like all their wide receivers are too. <sighs> they're good. And the offense is huge. Jim Leonard talks about, though, they're excited for the challenge defensively to take on Ohio State's offense. It all has to come together when you play a very talented team across the board. I think our guys are excited for that challenge. We've always felt comfortable going out and challenging their group and force them to beat you, right? Force them to make plays in the pass game. You've got to tackle well for 60 minutes against these guys because they're talented out in space and, and the running backs running extremely hard. And I think you will see after this game exactly where you 
you'll have a good idea after this game exactly where Wisconsin will be at the end of the season. Because if they go out there and, and play decently well, where the defense all of a sudden kind of figures some things out and they do hold Ohio State to like, I'm not going to say like 20 points, but we'll say like, uh, you know, something that's not like 45. <laughs> Then you'd feel probably pretty good if Graham Mertz can come out there, throw the ball well. Yep. And it's not like Ohio State has like the Michigan type defense, which is super stout, super good, but it's still a pretty decent defense. Yeah, they're a good and team. if you're going to be trailing or in a position where you're behind, we'll see what Graham Mertz is made of. We'll see what yeah. this Wisconsin team is made of. And if they just kind of roll over and get absolutely boat raced, like, I'm talking like 52 to 10, Mm -hmm. like something that's just like you quit watching by halftime. That's bad. There's going to be a lot of question marks moving forward. When you play the Minnesotas, Michigan, when you, when you play the Michigan States, when you play even the Purdue's like some of those games uh, that Wisconsin, you would have figured could probably win or at least have the ability to be favored in mm -hmm. might be a little bit more of a question mark. If, if you just get the absolute, yeah, we know we know is going to be making plays. We you know that because I mean they have playmakers everywhere. Look at how many Heisman candidates they have on their team. So Jim Leonard was asked or said Ohio State's going to be making plays. You just can't get frustrated. Biggest thing they're going to make their plays. They're going to make plays. You can't get frustrated. I can't as a, a play caller get frustrated and, and try to do something out of structure a little bit. Um, and as a player, you got to stay within yourself. We're going to make ours too. You got to have that trust. You got to have that that faith that you. We have the right plan. We're going to make our plays, too. And you force this team to consistently beat you. And when they give you opportunities, you got to take advantage of it. you got to pounce. And Leonard does say, though, it's one game, but you have to understand the urgency of it. It's one. It's one-on-one, right, in the, in the schedule. Like, you got to handle it that way. But from an approach standpoint, there's certain things that change when you play on the road. There's certain things that change when you play against talented groups that you have to understand the urgency of, of how you handle your business this week needs to be there. Yeah, a lot of layers of this onion. Yeah, a lot to unpack for this game coming up. Jim and Leonard said they got to disrupt C.J. Stroud to have success, rightfully so. You have to be willing to go toe-to-toe with a guy like that because he's going to make a number of throws and, and beat the right call that you had. He's going to beat your coverage. He's going he's to throw the ball into tight windows, and you got to find ways to slow him down and, and frustrate him a little bit. <sighs> Rowdy has no faith. I have a little faith. Uh, we'll do a, a Twitter poll maybe Friday, maybe tomorrow, one or the other, about what we expect to happen. But money, Rowdy, I think the betting public expects Ohio State to just obliterate Wisconsin. As what it's saying. The money, uh, the line has moved all the way now to 19 in favor, obviously, of the Buckeyes. 19. Well, you know what they say, Ebo. Money talks and BS walks. Yeah. But also, I heard, Rowdy, when people zig, others are supposed to zag. Are you zigging or zagging? If everyone zigs on this, are you zagging? I don't see that as as one of those. <laughs> what do you see it as? Go with the public? I just I just don't see how this Wisconsin team can really compete with that Ohio State team. Like, if you want to talk about a moral victory and say you bet Wisconsin at plus 19 and they lose by 17, great, good for you. Yeah, I'm not that in the moral victory Losing business. by 17 is still... For for a team that you might potentially see in the Big Ten Championship, if you make it there, 
You really feel that great about it? The moral victory thing is like the guy that's like, well, the what if guy too. I just can't stand the what if guy. What if, well, if this happened and that happened and this happened and that happened, then this would have happened. Oh, oh, or the, we got a moral victory though. We didn't get beat by 20. We got a push. We got beat by 19 or we only lost by 18. It's like you still lost the game and you got your asses handed to you. <sighs> oh, the Badgers. We'll see what happens. And how about a guy in New York, Biscuits on Twitter, Rowdy? He said he really he really liked your realistic uh, breakdown of the Badgers yesterday. Uh, as he uh, said, there's not enough anytime drinks, Bloody Marys in the world, to make it feel better. Uh, of the hangover coming on Sunday at the Badgers get pounded. See, it's easy to be the person that says, oh, yeah, I got a feeling. I got a feeling that Wisconsin might win this game or they might play well. Yeah, sports because- team. Because it's easy to say that because then say Ohio State goes out, throttles Wisconsin. You'd be like, wow, well, well, clearly Ohio State was better. You know, it's it is, you just don't look like people dreaming, do you? That's I'm a, dream, that's why I'm a glass, dream crusher. That's why your glass is half empty and mine is half full. It's the yin and the yang. Happiness, angry. Happiness, anger. I think that works. I will come back. Uh, ben, well, uh, Ben, when do you want to come in here? Well, Ben, text me when you get on to get here for this chess anal bead story. And also, weird transition. Jocko coming up as well. <laughs> Would it really be happiness versus anger or reality and ignorance? Does Wisconsin have a chance against Ohio State? Ben? It's a, uh, it's a loaded question. I mean... Give us the abridged version, the cliff note version, if you will, or spark notes. The answer is yes. Not a baby. But they have to play a perfect game. They need to have those things that normally change the trajectory of football games, like turnovers, special teams, uh, big touchdowns that aren't necessarily foreseen, like a block punt, something like that. They need to get those kind of plays. They need to change the flow. They need to play a, a perfect offensive game. They have to somehow not let Marvin Harrison... Jackson Smith and Jigba, Igbuka, all those guys, Julian Fleming, torch them over the top. They have to pressure Stroud. Would you say that the Badgers would have more success if they flush Stroud out of the pocket and make him use his feet? Uh, he's so good at throw. He He's just really good. I mean, he is an elite pocket passer. Like, that's his game. He is also, he is agile in the pocket. He is terrific at creating space within the pocket and keeping his eyes downfield. He doesn't ever look to run, though I would say he is athletic within the structure of passing in the pocket. I think like his biggest was nine yards on like three carries against what the Toledo was the last game they played. Yeah, he doesn't run. No, and before that, he, he ran for two carries for minus one yard and the other one's three carries for two yards or something which, like that. I think that helps Wisconsin because against Justin Fields, you have to dedicate defenders to spy and contain him because he will run a lot. And somehow in the Big Ten Championship in the first half, they actually did a terrific job at it before the floodgates opened. I actually tweeted last night, I would rather face, like, C.J. Stroud is amazing. He's going to be a top two pick in the draft. The things he could do placing the football are just ridiculous. I would rather, though, face a Stroud offense than a fields offense like the fields 2019 offense I would rather face this one than that one because what fields can do with his legs that's the thing that traditionally gives the Leonard's defense uh, fits where they have trouble containing at times guys that look to run look at Washington State yeah zone read type stuff so I don't know 
Stroud is a, and all the things they have on the outside, it's a really tough matchup, and I don't see Wisconsin succeeding because I, their offense is just crazy. But I, I kind of like the matchup more than, you know, facing fields, which is kind of a pick-your-poison kind of deal. I do. I tweeted it, and Ohio State fans got a hold of it. Uh-oh. They're going ballistic. I started to get Ohio State fans in my mentions arguing amongst themselves nice. whether Stroud is better than Fields. So my work here is done. I'm trying to create some turmoil. Stroud or uh, Stroud or Fields? Here it is. My job here is done. Ben Kenny, look at that. Now, who'd you who'd you vote for in the poll? Or I guess you can't vote in your own poll. I think it's Fields. I. Yeah, Fields is winning 73.7% College, in poll. And this is different than how they project to the pros. And Fields is screwed because he's in Chicago. But Fields in college, in 2019, genuinely, that is the greatest team I've ever seen Wisconsin play against. Defense, offense. And there's another, my, if you want to be positive, I've been positive the last couple of days. You have. Do you still have the feeling in your plums? Or has it dwindled a bit? Is it, has, is it's it, dwindling. Is it, is it numbed? It's slowly dwindling. This Ohio State team does not have Chase Young, where they have a lot of talent on defense, on the defensive line. A couple guys are banked up, worth monitoring. A couple guys in the secondary. Mike Hall. Who did they have Chip and Chase tackle. Young? Was it Barry Alvarez's grandson? No, well, it was nobody in the first game. Yeah. Well, yeah, they asked Ferguson to block him, which was <laughs> not a good decision. But each of the last times Wisconsin's played the Buckeyes, there's been a, a Bosa or a Chase Young or one of those generational pass rushers that go to the NFL and are freaks, this Ohio State team, while it's very good on defense and not great, they don't have that, which is not a bad thing. They just have, like, a ton of Heisman candidates on offense. Yeah. <laughs> now, Jackson Smith and Jigbo went down week one, uh, hamstring stuff. He played last week, but he could be on a minor pitch count. He's not 100%, I'll say that. Okay. But even 80% of him is uh, crazy good. Marvin Harrison Jr. is the guy that, I mean, he, he might go for 180 and two touchdowns on Saturday. So the feeling in your plums is starting to dissipate a bit. No, I think Wisconsin can the cover. Ting- the tingle is, well, it's up to 19 now. I know. I think Wisconsin can cover. I, no part of me says they win this game at all. But I think because what of... What happened to the, t- the, the plum feeling? Well, it's become a dull pain, and he's getting it checked out. Is it? Be- it's it's a little midweek lull. I don't know. It's the midweek hump day lull. Like, this Ohio Missouri. State defense, while their success rate's very high, they have given up some explosive plays, which factors in. Like this Wisconsin offense has a legitimate downfield passing game, and the defense they're facing is better than the ones they face so far. But but Graham do you want to from- get in a downfield passing game with the Ohio State? Buckeyes in this roster. What do you want to get in a downfield type high scoring passing game? Well, you're going to need it. It's not a question of state team. Do you make it a high scoring game? It's the fact that you can actually threaten teams down the field. So you have a Heisman candidate, CJ Stroud, elite pocket passer against Graham Mertz, who has been looking good, but it was against he's been looking New Mexico State, Washington State, and Illinois State. Listen, I just think well, I, listen. I'm on the Merce bandwagon again. Wisconsin has the offensive firepower to at least hang around. It's a question of can they find plays to turn the game, whether it's special teams, defense, just big, you know, pick six kind of deal, uh, big return touchdown. I think they have enough to hang around. Do you know why Ebo's officially back on the Graham Mertz train? 
Because Deacon Hill sucks? <laughs> because his boy Deacon Hill was relegated to third team. And Mertzler's look good. First Miles time Burkett in his career. Good. Three games in a row, first time in his career, 200 yards passing plus. Yeah, no, he's he's playing really well. And the weapons, they're going to face a lot of man on Saturday, or they better. If Ohio State drops into zone like Washington State did, I, it'll be indefensible. This is how, if Wisconsin were to win this game, this is how, in my mind, it would have to go. They come out actually throwing the football because Ohio State's going to anticipate that you're going to run it with Braylon Allen, basically like you did the first three games. Do you think I'm off on that? Nope. Well, didn't you just say you can't get in a a high-scoring, many-possession downfield passing game. You just need that passing game to be able to hit on a couple big plays when you're backed up behind the sticks. I think Wisconsin has to come out and be really good on the ground, and that goes to the line, it goes to Allen. The only way you win is you keep Stroud off the field, which means you have to run it at a high clip. See, I think you come out, you throw the football, I'm not saying every single play you're throwing the football all game. I'm saying you need to come out because we've seen that offensive line not as physical as we've seen it in the past. We've talked about how they're kind of soft and underperforming. I think you need to throw right away to get them off balance, open up that run. Then you run heavy, say, after that first possession. And then it's going to be, like you said, you're going to have to pick your spots with Graham Mertz down the field from time to time after that first possession you come out and throw just to get Ohio State off balance. But I'm with you. They need to come up with some big defensive plays or special team plays because this Ohio State offense is just too good for, especially for the defense that we saw Wisconsin play in the first three weeks where there is some question marks at linebacker. They're inexperienced. There is some question marks at the back end. They're young and experienced. These guys from Ohio State, they're good. They're good. They're good. All right. Um, so if we want more of that, Ben, Kenny and Heilprin. Yep. Podcast, wherever podcasts are podcasted. Yep. And Ben C. Kenny on Twitter ben as well. A lot of stats, a lot of nuggets. Stats that will define the contest, early down success rate, but that kind of stuff. What's no longer in play as those are your nuggets. As I don't feel like it's a win anymore. We'll see. I, I never felt like it's it was the, a win. Why you came in here up? I was I was vibing with you. Our nuggets were on in, in sync. Yeah, vibing. And now you have the middle. It's the midweek lull. I said I was going to be positive yesterday, and I talked myself into them covering. I think they could cover. Okay, but that means losing by two touchdowns plus. This more is going to be revealed on Saturday. You know. Yep. I'm still on Ohio. But this State. is. I mean, like they win this game. Oh, then look out, man. Then they'll go lose like Illinois or something. No, right. changes a lot. Michigan State secondary sucks. Yeah. Iowa can't score. Northwestern's the worst team I've ever seen. Purdue lost to Syracuse. Minnesota's without their top receiver. Yes, yes, yes. Hey, 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 don't let Vandy get hot either. If they beat Bama. <laughs> hey. I, how much would Wisconsin be? How much would Wisconsin has be a better chance to beat Ohio State They put up Vandy. 60 How much would Wisconsin Hawaii? be Vandy by? I'm a big Vandy guy. I... But I think you're the only one. What? Maybe Jay Cutler. Wisconsin has a better chance to beat Ohio State than Vandy. Well, they yeah. should. This spreads more than twice as much. How much spread? 40 and a half. Jesus.